0: Hello everyone, Jody Heich, your host here with you. Glad to have you on board with us for part two here of a very special edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. This is a a series that we're putting together for you that came from the southern border of Texas. We were actually on our border recently on a CODEL, a congressional delegation that was put together by our great friend Michael Cloud, the representative from Texas twenty-seven which is in itself in the southern part of Texas. He put together a Codell. I was part of it. Glenn Grothman from Wisconsin was a part of it. And I cannot describe to you both the intensity of the trip as well as the information that was gathered. It was stunning. It was chilling. It was disturbing to see the magnitude of the crisis taking place on our southern border. There are five sectors on the border that reaches across the entire state of Texas. We visited two of those five, the Laredo sector and the Rio Grande Valley sector. And I I wish everyone in this country could experience what we experienced on the trip. So we thought it to be wise to do a two-part series of the Freedom Caucus podcast Coming to you directly from the southern border, the first edition included a discussion and interview with Michael Cloud himself. I would encourage you, if you have not heard that first edition, to go back and look it up, that episode with Michael Cloud. You can find that uh, by going back and searching. This today, we are going to be taking a further look with individuals who are on the front line of the battle, if you will, on our southern border. Joining me today is Hector Garza. He is the vice president at large for the National Border Patrol Council. No one understands what the Border Patrol agents are facing better than does Hector Garza. Again, he is the vice president at large for the entire National Border Patrol Council, and he is stationed out of this southern part of Texas. Uh, You're going to enjoy hearing from him. Then we're going to hear a little bit later from Joe Brayman. He not only works with the law enforcement in the area, but he is worldwide recognized for the professional use of dogs, both in finding uh, individuals who are at large, in this case, illegals, be it finding drugs or be it finding corpse who did not survive, deceased individuals, Uh, who are uh, unfortunately uh, deceased and trying to come into the United States. You will find that interview to be fascinating. So again, thank you for joining us today on this part two of a special edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast, and let's jump right into it. I'm joined now with Hector Garza. He is the vice president of the National Border Patrol Council, And just absolutely has his hands full with what's happening on the southern border. Hector, thank you for taking time to be with me now, and thank you for your service to our country. We are deeply grateful.
1: Uh, Thank you, Congressman, and and we appreciate that uh, you came down to the border to actually uh, see what is happening on the border, and, and we appreciate you for that, sir. Well, you know, it's important to me not only to hear about what's going on, but seeing it
0: firsthand, straight up has such a a deep impact. I I just wish everyone in this country could witness the things that we've witnessed uh, here on the southern border. Let's begin, just kind of give me an assessment. What are we dealing with on the southern border? A lot of folks are saying it's not a crisis, a manufactured crisis. Tell me from your experience, you are in the trenches on this thing. What is your assessment of the issue?
1: So, So pretty much we have a crisis. Uh, that is happening at at different at different levels. We it's a humanitarian crisis dealing with with the type of people that are, that are coming across uh, the border. Uh, we're dealing with a a border security crisis uh, because our, our agents can no longer uh, conduct border security operations because they're so tied up with other duties with a human humanitarian crisis. Uh, but overall, sir, I, I think uh, the key word here, sir, is that we've pretty much lost control of the border um, uh, because of the current influx of, of these family units and the, uh, the people requesting asylum and and the fake family. And, and people that are, are, don't have legitimate asylum claims. Because of all those people that are coming across, um, we're being overwhelmed. And our Border Patrol agents can no longer conduct border security operations. And, and just in general, having an unsecured border is not a good thing for our country. Well, I, I think that, that, is,
0: that describes exactly what I've witnessed. The Border Patrol agents are totally overwhelmed. Uh, we learned that 50% of them are spending time processing uh, uh, people who they, they catch Uh, Those and so that just takes people out of the field. Uh, And so you've got that issue. The other side of the border, you have the cartels that are literally controlling every square inch of the other side of the border. Uh, And it's a devastating problem that we're dealing with. What um, if, if there's I know there's many, many factors to this, but what needs to happen to help you guys out?
1: So, so first of all, I, I think uh, we need to stop encouraging um, illegal immigration. Uh, there's obviously some changes that need to be done uh, to the law to make sure that we don't encourage that illegal immigration. Uh, and part of the part of that those changes in the law that need to happen is that, as agents and as as a government, we need to have the ability to detain people together. Uh, that includes uh, uh, families together, so that way, if they don't qualify for asylum, right, we can make sure that we deport these people back to their country. One of the reasons people continue to come to the U.S. Uh, at the numbers that we're seeing right now is because they know that if we, if they turn themselves in, we're going to let them go. We're going to walk them out the front door. So yeah, so that's one of the and other let's major just pause there. Real quickly, you're letting them go because. So we're letting them go because of the of the rules that we have uh, with detaining uh, families together, with detaining children, uh, and also the fact that we're so overwhelmed that we don't have detention space. Um, even if, if we get adult males from other countries, uh, we won't be able to detain them because we don't have enough detention space. Uh, and we do have right now some uh, some laws and some settlements where we can't hold uh, children for longer than 20 days. And because of that, the asylum process is, is, takes way longer than just 20 days, so we have no other choice but to release people. Okay, so let's, let's play this scenario out. A, a person comes into this country
0: illegally. They purposefully get apprehended uh, by some of your patrol agents. They claim asylum, and then by law and by necessity that you do not have the manpower or the detention space, They are released and allowed to freely go into the country uh, as illegal still, but waiting for their asylum case, which could
1: potentially take years. Is that correct? That is exactly what's what's happening, Congressman. And and what's interesting is that these people that are being released is because they're claiming asylum. But guess what, Congressman? Most of these people never show back to the court hearings. And most of the times these people are deported in absentia. What happens is that now, since they did not show up to court, they have a deportation order on their file. But guess what? They're trying to abolish ICE. How can our ICE agents even go try to deport people uh, in the interior of the United States? So we have a big, big problem. And and it's just a big rampant abuse of our immigration system.
0: And then you have on top of that the human uh, smuggling as well as human trafficking Issue and and the drug smuggling issue, uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of people. One of the the concerns that was highlighted on the trip for me was the human smuggling that's taking place. Uh, there is not a single person that comes into this country that's not paying the cartels to get here. And uh, kind of walk us down that process.
1: Yeah, so pretty much the uh, the Mexican drug cartels control every every part of the border. They have operational control of the border. They're the ones that uh, organize and orchestrate uh, all of these smuggling uh, uh, incidents. Uh, they're the ones that uh, uh, coach the family units on where, uh, where where they cross them. They're the ones that orchestrate the drugs that are being brought across the uh, the, the border and then uh, transported into the interior of the United States. Uh, they're the ones that uh, organize the uh, the fact that we small smugg- that they smuggle uh, over 120 people in the back of a tractor trailer. So yeah, the, these guys are making uh, these cartels are making a lot of money from this human smuggling. And to top it off, we're also seeing a lot of fake families. Those are the families that that we get an adult male or adult female claiming to be traveling with their with their with their, their son or their daughter. And after uh, some investigative techniques and after interviewing the the the, the, the subjects, we find out that they're not even related, that they're pretty much using the kids, that those kids were borrowed or were rented in Mexico. So yeah, human smuggling, human trafficking, it's it's a serious problem and we're seeing it on a daily basis. So what happens when
0: these adults are caught not being the legitimate parents of the children who are in their uh, possession or custody, whatever you call it? Are there
1: any consequences that take place? So just recently, I started to conduct a, a few more investigations into these fake families. Uh, prior to that, we did not have any 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 type of uh, of resources dedicated to that. So now, ICE has been presenting some of these cases for prosecution. Now, what happens to that child is sometimes they borrow six month old babies. Those children, those kids, don't even know where they're from or who their families are. So what, essentially, what happens is that now those kids that were being rented or used by these uh, by these smugglers. Are not, now become the custody of the United States, uh, and now these people uh, pretty much separated families in their countries, and now these kids are uh, become part, pretty much part of the, of the U.S. government.
0: Well, Hector, I want to thank you so much for joining, I, and I just want to end with this from my observation, and I have I have um, been pretty pretty active on this in Washington, uh, in my roles and hearings, and trying to stay abreast of this. Uh, issue though this is my first actual trip to the border and this has opened my eyes even more if I were to give a numeric figure assessment to this a one out of a 10 I would say that we are at a 10 in terms of a an emergency crisis situation is
1: that overstating
0: it from your perspective
1: Sure. As a matter of fact, I would say that we were at 100. But yeah, but if 10 is the high as you can go, sure. Yeah, you're accurate, sir. Sure. We have a serious problem, sir. Sure.
0: Well, Hector Garza, I want to thank you so much again for the incredible service that you provide to this country. The morale that you keep with the Border Patrol agents, um, that is another thing that's been stunning to me with the enormous challenges that they face. They seem to have an incredible attitude, every one of them that we saw and worked with. And that, I know, largely falls on leadership. So thank you for all that you are doing for our country. And God bless you. And I look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Congressman. We appreciate you, sir. Thank you. All
0: right. We're here on the border in South Texas and just learning an incredible amount of information as to what's happening on the border and what our uh, law enforcement our Border Patrol agents are doing to try to address the problem. I had a, have a very special guest with me right now. Joe Braman is uh, hes involved in law enforcement, but particularly what we're going to talk about uh, right now, his use of dogs in uh, tracking uh, illegals, tracking, uh, goodness, uh, We'll get into it. It's just absolutely a phenomenal story. We're right now on Killam Ranch, which is an enormous ranch in South Texas. But Joe, thank you for joining me. It's glad and we're honored to have you on the program. Thank you for having me, sir. All right. Well, let's begin. Just a little bit of background. You've been involved in law enforcement uh, and then you've transitioned into, several, many years ago, but to bringing dogs into the equation.
2: Yes, sir. I, I uh, went to the police academy in year 2000, I guess, and, and uh, graduated and went straight into um, working for Sheriff Hodges there in Referio County. Yeah. I was just north of Corpus Christi, and uh, I was, I was a, f- a full-time deputy with him for, I don't know, three years, and then I went straight into uh, the canine program. All right let's talk about the k9 program what uh, when people hear canine
0: program I think most people are familiar with canines walking around a dog uh, or walking around the car and that that type of thing but this you're talking about a program that goes much deeper than that Give a general overview and then we'll go into more specifics
2: um we 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 breed uh, coonhounds it's a mixture of black and tan blue tick red tick you know that that kind of kind of dog we mix the bloodline together. And then we train those dogs to run in a free pack after the the subject, how, no, no matter how far he goes. All right. And so, who who would the subject be? And are these dogs aggressive?
0: What what do they do? What are you trying to accomplish when the dogs catch up to someone? Well,
2: I have I have two types of dogs. I train two types of dogs. I have what they call the aggressive for the fugitive recovery. For capital murder suspects or sexual assault stuff like that, then I have some that I use for the illegal immigrants that are running that have children and w- women with them that we just want to we want to make it up to the bodies, take the persons into custody, more of a humanitarian recovery for for um, law enforcement. Okay, and you keep extremely busy. Your dogs
0: are very busy around here, and not just here. Your reputation for raising the best dogs. Really is globally recognized. Just real quickly, what are some of the? You've won multiple awards, and you've been recognized in many countries for the work that you do.
2: Yes, sir. In in uh, late 2016, I was uh, asked to go do an evaluation in Kruger Park because of the rhino poaching. It was they were killing three rhinos a day in South Africa, and um, I got over there, did an evaluation on the kennels. The dogs weren't up to par, so I came back and I trained them 20 dogs. Sent them over there, and they 've caught over one hundred and twenty now, I think poachers, and seized fifty six guns i believe wow and and I mean and that's part of guy. that
0: they were just really watching the rhino population decrease
2: it, they were at the at the brink of extinction right
0: well uh, and, and you 've got multiple stories like that and i want I think it 's important for our listeners to be aware that you are you've and you 've won world renowned awards mm-hmm. for your work with dogs but let 's come back here to the border. First of all, how significant is the problem on the border with what we're seeing with people coming into this country illegally
2: when i first when I first started law enforcement, we would see a bailout about once a month on a traffic stop now it's every day i mean i'm I'm getting called it matter of fact, it's so bad it's just my partner and I at this point, and we're deploying say we got to go to Victoria County on a bailout. And halfway there, we're getting a call from Corpus Christi, or we're getting a call from Robstown, or something. and we have to—we just not enough of us to go around.
0: Well, that's one thing I've seen in our, our time down here. The uh, the Border Patrol—they are overwhelmed uh, and uh, understaffed. I mm-hmm. mean, many of them right now just keeping up with the paperwork. Fifty percent of them are doing paperwork rather than field work, boots on the ground. All right, now let's just say the last couple of weeks. All right, let's—we don't have to go back years. The last couple of weeks. What have you seen on the border and what have you personally been involved in in terms of uh, catching people? Well,
2: I have a lot of friends on the border that are working and they tell me about the, the, the immigrants coming across of, uh, to the point where if they find an aggressive point of, of entry where they're crossing a lot, they put pressure on them there then they just flow around the other sides of them and there's no way to stop them. In the last two weeks for me, I couldn't tell you how many people I've detained in the last 2 weeks i have no idea it's in the hundreds really really you personally me personally my my myself and my assistant wow it's just unbelievable
0: and i think for it's so important joe for people to hear this because we we are being told that this is a manufactured crisis we're being told all this absolute nonsense we have a major crisis happening on the border and you're right in the thick of things. All right, let's go back to the dogs real quickly. All right, so how have they been involved in the last two weeks?
2: Um, they've been involved in multiple bailout situations, 150 miles from the border, up in my uh, in the coastal bend. And and you know what 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 I was doing at first was as I was catch one or two of the guys, and then I'd say, you know what, I don't know if we can. Chase the rest of them because we were going into into the city limits and stuff. So we had to start using the leash dogs. I finally t- I talked my department into saying that it's time to stop it. I want these people to know that I'm not after them to bite them. I'm after they're they're in the country illegally. And we we need to catch them. And we have to catch them.
0: All right. So how critical are the dogs compared to other uses of technology?
2: Well, they're a lot cheaper and they're a lot more effective. If you have twelve dogs and two two uh, handlers, one for backup and one for one to run the dog, then you can utilize those 12 dogs to do what 12 people could do. And they're not as, you know, not as many man hours.
0: Well, and they're so much faster. I they mean, they are, can. They, this terrain around here is rough terrain. Uh, and I, 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 someone who's trying to go through this terrain can't be going extremely fast, but those dogs can get through there yes, rapidly. Sir. Yes, sir.
2: And I will tell you, tell you a story that, that you know, a, a, an aircraft costs a lot of money. And I got deployed to a situation in Victoria County about a month ago. The aircraft had the FLIR system and could not see the bodies. My dogs were stationary in one spot, and I told him, I said, go look in that spot. And he said, we don't see anything. When I reached that destination, I found seven people hiding. Wow. So that's how effective they are
0: and these dogs also you train another set of dogs uh, cadaver dogs to be able to find people who are deceased, deceased out yes. here which i would think from what i'm witnessing out here has got to be a pretty frightening number of people that you find who are deceased out here
2: we do and 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 you know the the what people don't don't need to forget is is that they're human beings and we want to recover these people right and get them get them back to their country they're 1400 1800 miles away you know running for their life in the middle of nowhere in this heat with the snakes with, you know, all the, the brush and stuff and dehydration hits because they probably, probably were in a stash house for seven to 10 days with no water or limited water, limited food. So, you know, if we can go and we can make a difference and help bring these people to safety, that's my number one goal.
0: Well, Joe, I want to thank you so much. Uh, let's just end with this. We are Right now involved in a, a, a sample, if you will, uh, myself and others who are here uh, witnessing how the dogs actually perform. Explain what we're about to see.
2: We, we uh, had a simulated uh, like bailout over here about a mile, but not even a mile from here, maybe a few hundred yards from here. The suspect ran in and out of the brush on hard surface where the scent won't hold along into the brush and then to his final destination our goal is to put the dogs on the track and for the, you guys to get to watch the dogs travel all the way down that track and then tell me hey he's right here right here
0: absolutely fascinating well listen i want to thank you for your service to our country and what you're doing here uh, and the incredible work that you have done in training these dogs and what they bring to the table in defending our border and keeping it safe joe it's an honor to have you thank you so
2: much for being a part of it. thank you sir Thank you.